Weirdo bookworms unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Ready in five, four, three... Hi, genre junkies. This is Sandra. And this is Scott. And if you heard it, if you heard the meow, that was Stitches. It was so cute. Just right when we were about to start talking, she just is like, I'm here too. She's very excited to be on the show. Oh, you know what? We didn't give her hush monies. We didn't. We always give her a little snack before we record because otherwise she'll um, she'll make a ruckus. Yeah. She she has been known to jump on our faces. And to touch the microphone and just be a general Nuisance. Nuisance. Uh, yeah. yeah. Should we should we give her a little snacky? Yeah, let's do it. So that should probably help. I mean, we don't mind it if she meows and talks and, you know, wants to make her opinion on whatever book we read known. But, you know, it's just not destructive. Well, now that the piper has been paid. <laughs> um, welcome to another night of genre junkies. Tonight is a very special episode where we have not only a book review for you, first part is spoiler free, but we also have an interview with the author. So that would be Seven Lies by Elizabeth Kay. And this episode is even more exciting because this book is a little bit different than the books that are normally in our wheelhouse for this show. Um, so we had this opportunity to read this book, and it was one of those where it was initially like, is this more of, you know, kind of a, a mystery thriller novel? Um, but then, like, I was reading it, and I was reading some of the early reviews, and I was like, this sounds different. This sounds very, very different. And um, as I will say in the interview with Elizabeth, this is truly a novel of suspense to me. It is. This is the most. This is this is the, one of the most suspenseful novels uh, in a lot of ways that I've read in a long time. This is like some Edgar Allan Poe ish. Like, I mean, it's it's more like that, like a modern day female perspective Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> um, before we start getting into that, Scott, did you have anything you wanted to share with the class? Uh. I mean, the only thing that I have really to share might be the same as yours, and that's that we've been watching, finally, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. Oh my gosh, we love the movie. We're obsessed. It's definitely probably my favorite comedy of all time. And I was excited to watch the show. My um, my cult show co-hosts, you know, were kind of peer pressuring me into it, even though I really wanted to do it. And I was just, you know, trying to make the time. And I think in somewhere in my heart, I had fear that it wouldn't live up. I know. I think I can speak for both of us when I say like I was I was very afraid to watch this show because the movie is so good. And sometimes like, you know, restarts, recreations, like trying to capture that same magic doesn't work all that well. They really nailed it. And it's got a lot of um, energy and input from like Taika and Jermaine. And like you can just tell, you know, like they kept it really true to that. So yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, the other thing is, you know, besides reading books and reading some different things here and there, um, we've also started to, you know, read uh, influenced by the Black Lives Matter movement. And we have done that in the past and in our lives. But, you know, just kind of really working on, as we said before, committing ourselves to be not only not racist, but actively anti-racist. Yeah. And the book that we're on right now is uh, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And oh, boy, this book is killer. This book is just, ah, I'm reading it on an e-copy. And it's like, I just like, I find myself highlighting and then I look back and I've highlighted like entire chapters. And um, it is, oh, it is so, so, so good. And I cannot recommend it enough if you're looking to keep yourself um, educated, which we all should through books, because books are, I think, one of the best ways to teach us all to be more compassionate and loving people. So tonight we're going to talk about some compassionate and loving people. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so tonight we're going to talk about Seven Lies by Elizabeth Kay. I will tell you a little bit about the book. 
It all started with just one little lie, but we all know that it never ends there, because of course, one lie leads to another. Growing up, Jane and Marnie shared everything. They knew the other's deepest secrets. They wouldn't have had it any other way. But when Marnie falls in love, things begin to change. Because Jane has a secret. She loathes Marnie's wealthy, priggish husband. So when Marnie asks if she likes him, Jane tells her first lie. After all, even best friends keep some things to themselves. If she had been honest, then perhaps her friend's husband might still be alive today. For of course, it's not the last lie. In fact, it's only the beginning. And, you know, just kind of like uh, some buzzwords to throw out there from the back of the book too: compelling, sophisticated, chilling, seductive, um, hypnotic, toxic friendship, tangled, obsession, love. Uh, if those words kind of pique your interest. Maybe you can see why we decided that we had to read this book for the show. Yeah, yeah. This one, um, it certainly took me on a really interesting journey. And it just really wasn't quite like anything I'd read in some time. It um, it had some shades of The Return in there, which we reviewed earlier. Uh, the Return by Rachel Harrison. Loved that book. And uh, yeah, Scott, what, what did you think of this book? What was your experience score? This book is a complicated experience score for me. Um, I ultimately am giving this a page turner because it really is. And I just, I, I really had a hard time putting it down until I had a really easy time putting it down, which was, there, there's a couple points in this book where I had to walk away from it for a little bit. Oh. It's, it's, there's some really emotionally disturbing stuff in here. Yes. Um and there's there's a few things that I was not expecting that 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 really hit me incredibly hard in a in a in a painful way. Um I think that that is a testament to how well it's written, to how deep the characters are and and and, and complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, uh the main character's relationship is with everybody else and and, and the humanity of those other people, but uh it, it is a very hard hard book to to put down but it's also a hard book to read (laughs) um I think I know why you're saying that and kind of your opinion. For me, I definitely think it was a page turner as well. Like it was just a a solid page turner. I had to keep uh, knowing what was going to happen and where things were going. And um, oh, it was just it was so interesting. And just parts of it are are really chilling and really uh, kind of darkly compelling. One thing that I loved about this book uh, is that, and you can tell from the interview with Elizabeth, but you could even tell before that when you're reading it, is she loves these characters. And there's something really magical that happens when their author loves their characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to say, because this is not going to give anything away from the plot, I do want to issue a triggered warning for disordered eating in this book. Just FYI. Uh, yes. Um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty intense. Pretty intense. And, um, that was one of the things that was very difficult for me to read because she writes it so earnestly. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Kay has a really, really unique voice. And part of that you'll learn from the interview is the unique perspective she comes at from writing because she's worked in the publishing world. Um, and now this is her first novel. And so she gives a really cool look as somebody that really loves books and like her whole world and her whole life is books and has you know like she she wrote a book that she wanted to read that she was kind of looking for and it really shows it it does and it's and it's so unique in the way that it that she's created this this setting and, and you can tell that that's why so scott um Without, again, I don't want to give anything away, but we've talked in the past about an unreliable narrator. Yes. And there is a character in this book who, well, do you think they are an unreliable narrator? I I think that this does not fall under the strict category of an unreliable narrator. 
I don't feel like the character is honest with herself. Mm. And so that creates some unreliability. Yeah. Um, the way that she views the world and she views her relationships with other people are are inherently shaped by her own personal viewpoint on the world. And there's there's some dishonesty that comes from that as far as, okay, is this actually how other people would characterize what this particular setting and scene looks like? Maybe not. There's some really definite tension in this book. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of like, you know, you're kind of waiting for this thing to happen. And then you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And you're kind of waiting for things to be exposed. And it really is like, it's tension, it's suspense, it's anxiety. But like in like the best way of course like in that way where you're just like ah ah what's gonna happen i have to keep i have to keep reading because i have to know where this is going i have to know who my narrator is addressing this story to and one of the the reasons why that is possible is because the author makes you fall in love with this character even though her i mean she is you know the book is called seven lies she's not a completely honest person and there are some things that are really a problem with her as a person and choices that she makes and lies that she tells but it, through through the majority of the book you're really rooting for her at least i was and that's that's a hard thing to do with a character that you know really if if you just were told their story uh, it, from a third person yeah. you would you would hate them you'd be like am i do i trust this person am i supposed to trust this person um you know we talk a lot about flawed characters and complicated people as characters and i think we and most readers out there we love that that's you know kind of like we all love that because that's who we are and it's who the people we are friends and we love are um and <laughs> i feel like elizabeth k is like i'm gonna test you on that <laughs> she's like oh you say you love this okay well then uh I'm going to hit you with this. Boom. <laughs> and she hits you with these characters. and Emotional uh, challenge. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I think it's a good challenge to accept because there's parts where I think this person is funny and interesting and, oh my God, I have a lot of compassion for them. And uh, it just really goes to show you nobody is one thing in this world, right? Everybody is so complicated. So I have a question for you. Um, um, in a non-spoiler sense, okay. because I think this is important to talk about when when we're presenting this. Um, obviously, this story features a somewhat unhealthy female friendship. <laughs> but I, from my perspective, I didn't feel like it fell into the trap of women against women. In fact, no, I it's felt not. It's not like quite that. the opposite. No, no, no. It's it's so there is a relationship that is integral to this book that falls into something I'm super fascinated with, which is um, obsessive female friendship mm -hmm. and kind of toxic friendships. Um, but it's there's no girl hate in this book. Yeah. There's 100% no girl hate in this book. It's, um, it's a different phenomenon. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past too, like um, the... Th and I say this in the interview, one of the things that got me interested in this kind of sub genre is, uh, was the movie, the Peter Jackson movie way before Lord of the Rings time, uh, Heavenly Creatures. And it's a great, great, disturbing film based on a true story. And you don't see these obsessive, toxic relationships between men that often, or especially not depicted in movies or books or TV, whereas it is common with women. And I'm very interested in why that is and what that is. And I think it grows out of this loyalty and this love and this um, kind of almost unconditional love and trust that, I don't know, some of us, some of us females are like, I don't know, kind of known for or take to really easily. But it's a fascinating subcategory. Uh, also, one of the things that really stuck out to me about this book is kind of a thing that my dear Uncle Stevie, Stephen King, likes to talk about. And that's the, the concept of can you ever really know a person? Can you ever really know another person fully and all the dark and 
other sides of them. And it's interesting because the older I get, the more I think, no. <laughs> I think you can't. I yeah. think that you can, I think that you can know the general, you know, I think you can, I think there's a, there's a, there's a point when you can realize who's on your team and who's not. Right. But how they play the game is well, pretty and, foreign. And everybody has secret, dark, twisted sides of themselves. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. And, you know, you can be married to somebody for 35 years and perhaps not know all those sides of them. Or be best friends with a girl since you were both 10 and not know those sides of them. Very, very interesting stuff. And, you know, it's always you use your things for good or evil. Well, and considering we live in a time where it's become more and more acceptable to share with your friends. Uh, or strangers on the internet. strangers on the internet your own personal feelings and 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 struggles mm-hmm. uh and and you know dark moments vulnerability exactly yeah you know but even that is still the stuff that you are aware of that you are cognizant of having um struggles with there's a whole nother set of issues that are not even that, that you are not even privy to that you have. Yeah, no, it's really, really, really interesting psychological questions that this book raises and, you know, moral questions and things that you have to think about, maybe relationships or people you know, and how would you feel and how would you handle this? And um, yeah, it's a really deep, suspenseful, psychological novel. And I would say it's a pretty... Hmm, general appeal general to broad i'm gonna say um not quite mass i'm gonna not quite give it mass because i think it is a little darker than a lot of people are comfortable with Mm -hmm. but if you i think most people who read will read you know kind of thrillers in their life and because it's such a predominant you know thing and I think that thriller people will like this. I think that people who like women's fiction, as it's called, or who like horror, or who like um, kind of contemporary, but, you know, kind of want a little bit more, something more psychological and something a little bit more nuanced and dark would enjoy this. See, I'm sometimes surprised by the the thriller novels that become a mass book. Gone Girl. Exactly. If I had read Gone Girl not knowing the success it became, I would have never have put that into the mass category. I probably would have put it somewhere between general and broad. I, I agree. This book has some even darker things, even darker scenes and and ideas than Gone Girl does. Oh, well, that might be perspective, but okay. In in my, in my opinion, in from my perspective, uh-huh. there's um there's two scenes in particular that hit me way harder and disturbed me more than anything that was in Gone Girl. Oh, but I, hot take, hot take. But I actually am going to put this in a mass appeal. I I think that this really does have that that magic. I think that it's incredibly smart. I think that it's incredibly exciting. Uh, And I think that there's a lot of people who will really, really fall in love with the idea and the horror in this novel. Right. And it's kind of like, um, I hate to compare and contrast it to Gone Girl. And well, I mean, I love Gone Girl. I love all of Gillian Flynn's books. But um, there's something about, you know, you don't know everybody's true side in Gone Girl right away. Yeah. Whereas in like this, you know everybody's truth pretty early. And so I almost feel like, you know, Gone Girl was like training wheel and now the training wheels are off and so so it's like you can handle it being a little bit harsher a little bit darker now because you've made it through Gillian Flynn's world um so that's kind of I think where we should leave it until uh after the interview which is spoiler free yes it is and then we'll come back to the spoiler section so Scott do you want to bring us to the interview all right uh coming up next is our interview with Elizabeth Kay and we'll see you after all right listeners please welcome elizabeth k author of seven lies hello how are you i'm really well thank you thank you so much for having me yeah welcome to the show this is so exciting we love getting to talk to an author for the first time yes i've i've um 
it's been a bit of a whirlwind doing um, book publicity during lockdown. It's all been kind of podcasts oh. and speaking to people over Skype, which is really new to me. I'm not very tech savvy, so it's, um, oh. it's been a learning curve. oh I know that's like our whole lives now is like Skype and Zoom calls and whatever but um, we're thankful and especially because you're uh, quite far from us we're in Northern California in the States (laughs) and I am in London yeah (laughs) so we would have to do Skype anyway so that's that's okay (laughs) so you're in the publishing industry and this this is your first published novel how has the experience been going from from you know one side to the other like this can i say nerve-wracking that's probably the the best way to sum it up i am i work as an editor for uh penguin random house in the uk uh so i'm really used to seeing manuscripts and to speaking with agents and to working with authors so i thought it wouldn't i thought i'd feel quite comfortable in this space but actually it's been quite surreal the whole thing and more I think I feel more vulnerable than I'd expected, if I'm honest, having my peers read Mm. my book and have their opinions on it. And obviously it going out to readers worldwide is so much more than I'd ever anticipated. Oh, my goodness. That's it's really fascinating. It's kind of like when you see those actors who are like, but what I really want to do is direct. But yeah, that's um, (laughs) a unique position you find yourself in. Did you get into publishing because you wanted to be an author or, or did publishing inspire that? I think I had always, as a child, I was a big reader and also a big writer. And then as I was a teenager and at university, I wasn't really doing that much of either, if I'm honest. It was all reading books for school and for studying. um, And I stopped writing creatively. And it was only then when I started to look at what I might do as a job, which felt hugely daunting at first, that I thought, well, maybe I'll try and get into publishing. And I started working as a PA for a senior editor. And as I was working on manuscripts again and learning about editing, I started to write myself. So it kind of, it goes both ways, I think. One inspired the other. Certainly it was worth being back in the book world that made me interested in writing as an adult. But I had written as I had written lots as a child. I had just sort of fallen out of it along the way. Oh, okay. That sounds good. We're probably going to circle back to that because we're going to have some, we love some questions about early writing. But first of all, I wanted to talk to you about, of course, the novel, um, Seven Lies. And this is truly the one of the most suspenseful books I've ever read. Oh, I found it, <laughs> I found it really genre defining, um, uh, defying, I should say. Um, like it, it is just a true novel of suspense, in my opinion. And I'd love to know what was your inspiration for the book? I think I have really, as an editor, I'd really wanted to work on a really dark and sinister novel about female friendship. That felt to me like something fresh and exciting. And yet nothing was coming into me, nothing landed on my desk that felt like it was ticking those boxes. And I had been working, writing other projects for a long time. And I thought, actually, why don't I have a go writing this book that is the book that I want to edit, that I want to work on. If it's not coming into me from another writer, why don't I try and have a go myself? And so it very much originated there, thinking about how I could fill that kind of gap that I felt existed in a way. Um, Yes. And then I started thinking about the characters and the main character is called Jane. And once I started writing from her point of view, I really, I just completely fell in love with her and the way she sees the world. And I couldn't get her out of my head. And I found that once I had her, I didn't want to stop. Ooh, I, I, I feel a very similar way about Jane. Um, I like how you took matters into your own hands because this is the book that you wanted to read. A very impatient person. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And we're, we're the lucky ones. We're benefiting from it. So um, obsessive female friendship is a subject I've been fascinated with since I was an early teen and I saw the film Heavenly Creatures. And ever since then, I've just kind of like sought out things about obsessive female friendship. Um, when did your sort of fascination with that phenomenon begin? So I, I'm very fortunate, I think, in that lots of my closest female friends I've known for a really long time, most since secondary school, a few since primary school, and one or two since before I can remember. So I've been lucky enough to have these friendships that have evolved kind of over the course of my life so far. And I think that's just, I find something very interesting in how your friendships are forced to change as you grow up. You know, no one's the same person they are at 25 as they were at five or at 30 as they were at 20. And I think it's so easy to lose those friendships along the way. And that's kind of that imbalance of how people's lives evolve was something I thought 
was quite interesting in the context of a female friendship. Okay, no, that uh, that makes a lot of sense for me. Well, so in this story, you know, you said you kind of fell in love with with um, you know, writing her. This story gets very dark at times. D- did you find yourself like dwelling in that space, having trouble getting out of that space? I think for me, one of the things when I was writing it, although Jane is very dark and makes some admittedly very questionable choices, I am very fond of her. I have a real soft spot for her and I see her as being quite vulnerable and troubled. And so I never felt frightened by her, which perhaps is the wrong thing to say because she does do do some awful things. Um, and I suppose I was just, I was very much focused on trying to make her an empathetic character and people who readers would relate to. So she never felt terribly dark to me. Um, although I know from speaking to people, it published in the UK a couple of months ago, I know from speaking to readers here that some of them, some of them feel the way I do and some of some of them think she's abhorrent so <laughs> it's a bit of a marmite one whether people can can identify with her at all or think that she is terribly terribly dark and a very dangerous person or both yeah I mean well you know why not be both <laughs> no I I really liked Jane a lot and I can't wait to when we do our full review kind of dive into Jane because I, I have a lot of thoughts but um, one of them I wanted to ask you was without of course spoiling anything if we can do you think Jane is an unreliable narrator so this is something I really struggled with I wanted to write a totally reliable narrator who was always completely honest. So certainly when I started Mm. writing it, I thought she was going to be totally trustworthy. I think probably when I finished the first draft, I still felt that she was always completely honest. I think what became apparent as I started working with my editor in the UK and in the US was that it's almost impossible to be totally honest about events in your own life. You can only ever tell one side of the story. You're always going to be slightly unreliable because it's only ever one perspective. So I would say I wanted her to be reliable. I think she probably is ultimately unreliable. Ooh, I really like that because that's so true. We're only getting one half of any character's narrative, aren't we, if it's from their perspective? Exactly. So I kind of, I failed at that first. (laughs) At that first (laughs) thing. I hope the book works nonetheless. (laughs) So Elizabeth, what, what has been your favorite step of the writing process? I think for me, the first draft has always been really hard. Every time I've tried to write something, that always feels very grueling. I really, really enjoy working with editors to shape it. Maybe that speaks to what I do for a job. But I've been, I loved having people saying, that doesn't work at all. Or, well, why don't they do this? Or are you sure that's the right place? Or does it need more of this? I found it really inspiring and like creatively engaging to work with other people. So I think it was that part when it stopped being just my own project and became a bit more collaborative that I particularly enjoyed. I think that that's great to hear that you enjoy the 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 step of the process that is that is your your other job. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds a bit arrogant. I don't mean it that way. Well, no, no, I I think I think it makes editors everywhere happy to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a collaboration, definitely, and I think I think also it's very it's lovely to have other people take the time to comment in that way and to be engaged and interested. It starts to feel like it exists beyond your own mind, which is a really exciting moment when other people say, I don't know if I like that character. Well, that's, you know, does that friendship feel realistic? Does this bit work? Suddenly there are other people who are challenging you to try and make it better and you get to kind of get out of your own little bubble and try and make it something stronger. Oh, a challenge. I like that, a challenge. Did you find it difficult when you were writing this to not self-edit and just get it down on the paper? Or do you think that, that you were able to separate those those two jobs? Oh, no, I'm not able to separate them at all. I'm really terrible for this. I actually, <laughs> I wrote huge chunks of it with my font set to white. So I couldn't see what I was typing because every time I would write a few lines, I'd start going back and thinking, oh, that doesn't sound very good. That's terrible. That's a rubbish thing. No one would ever say that. I thought I've just got to keep writing. I've got to get a first draft done. If I couldn't see what I was, I could just see the little squiggles coming up under all my typos. Uh, It forced me to keep going and not edit as I went. What an incredible tip. That is brilliant. Pro tip right there, everyone. Um, so you had mentioned, and I wanted to circle back, that in your early life, you were a creative writer and reader. What was the first thing you ever remember writing? I actually have a memory of writing a short story, a scene, I'm not sure, with my aunt. And I must only I must have been really young. Uh, and I remember starting a new line with the word and 
because that's how it it was on her computer. It was in one of my first times on the computer. And I said, oh, we need to redo it because you can't start a line with the word and. She was like, no, no, you can't start a sentence with the word and. And of course, I think my novel starts with the word and. So I disobeyed that, <laughs> that rule very early on. But I remember just writing little sketches, little scenes from very young. Ooh, okay. Do you remember what that story was? All I can remember is that it was about two brothers, but I, I don't have a brother, um, so I have no idea where it came from. I don't know what I was, I don't know what happened to them. I couldn't tell you anything more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the type of books that you enjoy reading? Are you kind of uh, generally for fun in this world of suspense, thriller, kind of um, contemporary horror almost? first book that kind of fits in the crime thriller space that I ever read was actually Gone Girl. So it wasn't that long ago. Oh. So I, I just hadn't really thought of myself as a crime or thriller reader before that. It just was never a genre that had kind of appealed to me. It wasn't a space I went in the bookshops. Um, so I'm quite new in a way to thrillers. Before that, it was more kind of family dramas, what's commonly called women's fiction. Um, and I still read really widely. But I have to say, I found like the last few years, there've been so many good, brilliant, even thrillers and crime novels that that seems to be where I find myself more often than not at the moment. And how about for writing? Can we expect more of this same sort of line from you? Yes, I'm working slowly on the uh, the next one at the moment. Um, hopefully another one that focuses on women, hopefully that feels dark and sinister again. But it's still it's still in its infancy. I'm forcing myself through that first draft at the moment. So Ooh. it feels a bit of a slog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that definitely sounds um, like my sort of thing as well. Good. So what are some we always like to ask our authors too for a few book recommendations for readers as well. Is there a few that uh, you can name some of your favorite books or some things you've been really enjoying lately? I just finished reading last night the new Sherry LaPena book which is called At the End of Her. It's out next month in the UK. I don't know when it's out in the US, but that's wonderful. I loved, loved The Couple Next Door. Uh, I think this is her fifth novel now, uh, yeah. which is, I mean, unputdownable. All of her books, I think, are unputdownable. Uh, what else have I been reading recently? I read a novel called Keeper, uh, which was set in a women's refuge, but again, a very dark, sinister novel, which was brilliantly done. Uh, three women I only got to recently. Um, which I know was a big success both in the US and the UK. And I loved, uh, what else have I got? Uh, Fleischman is in Trouble is another one that I'm partway through. That's the one I'm working on at the moment. Really enjoying. I am so excited to pick up all of these. Yeah. Uh, Love a few new things to throw on the never-ending TBR. Oh, I know. Mine's just, I need to stop buying books. I need to read the ones I have. Oh, that's that's There's just, no fun. that's the life of a reader having Isn't that TBR it? pile. <laughs> so are are you still are you still under quarantine we're still or? in we're still in lockdown but it's loosening we're able to see people at a distance now here which is making a real difference i think but oh, i think yeah. bookshops started opening today so hopefully hopefully this is all positive steps in the right direction and kind of moving back towards a new normal well, that's that's really good to hear because I you know I think I, I know that it's been hard for some of the other authors that we've spoken to about having books release in a, during this time. Not mm. how has this differed from what you were kind of dreaming the experience would be like? I I mean the first so I was just planning my a launch party as everything started to happen. So that was the first mm. thing I thought. Oh, we probably probably can't do that. Uh, and then oh, I'd hope to be out meeting readers and talking to people in person and visiting bookshops, uh, all of which it was published in April here. So all of that went away. Uh, oh. But actually, it's been really nice speaking to people online, you know, on Twitter and Instagram and kind of over Skype and Zoom. It's it's meant I can probably speak to far more people than I would have been able to otherwise, um, because I've been able to do it from my own sofa. Uh, so very comfortably <laughs> as well. And I think lots oh, of people I have been that. people have been looking for books, and I I think that's you know wanting to fill their time and wanting to try to find a positive in having not going out to work and not being able to see their friends. So I hope you know in some ways it's found readers it might not have otherwise found. 
That's a really beautiful silver lining. And I agree, too. I feel like uh, more people are maybe falling back in love with reading. As a as a writer, editor, and reader, um, how do you think this sort of global pandemic lockdown will inform this next wave of literature coming up? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Station Eleven is one of my absolute oh. favorite books. Yes. Uh, and obviously that speaks to something not dissimilar, although far more severe than where we are now. I wonder if there will be more of these kind of I was going to say dystopian, but it's not really dystopian because it is it is happening. Um, it's real. It is real. But things that would have felt dystopian this time last year, I wonder if there'll be more of it or perhaps people won't have an appetite for it having having lived through it. I think there's definitely, I would be surprised if there aren't stories of people in very close-knit communities living in kind of with only with one other person being on their own, these kind of isolation stories, whether they are set in a pandemic or in another setting. Because I think we've all been forced to look at kind of the lives we lead and who we're spending our time with. And I think if you were living with someone who you didn't get on with at the moment, it would have been incredibly challenging. There's definitely a thriller in that, I think. Oh, yeah. I think I'm picking up those threads <laughs> that you're laying down. <laughs> well, I wanted to thank you so much for, for joining us today. And we're so excited to talk about this book and share this book with our listeners. And I want to make sure that our listeners are able to find you and reach out to you and follow you. So where can our listeners find you on the internet? Yes, yeah, so I am at any other Lizzie with Y, Lizzie with Y on both Twitter and Instagram. So I would love to hear from anyone who has read and enjoyed it or has questions. That's where I will be. Oh, that's a really cute name, too. I like it. <laughs> I've had it for a long time, actually, long before I was in the book world. And I thought I didn't change it. And now I think I'm stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can understand that. <laughs> so are you pretty active on social media before this, too? It's Instagram is where I seem to be able to lose hours just scrolling through people's lives and what people are saying. Um, I'm not sure it's a very healthy habit. I can... <laughs> I can do it for, you know when you get those notifications on your phone that say how long you've been on it for the day oh, I think that's been yeah. a bit of a shock in lockdown um <laughs> but I don't know it's a nice way to keep in touch with people right <laughs> right it is a very very nice way to keep in touch with people I've felt called out by social media a few times or like uh, I don't know if you have TikTok but if you're on there a little thing actually comes up and says like oh whoa whoa you need to take a break you've been here too long oh, and it's wow. like so embarrassing <laughs> oh I feel like that's when Netflix says are, are you still watching yeah yeah you just see your face reflected back in the screen and it's like yes yes I'm still here oh judging Really, quick, <laughs> really quickly before we let you go, speaking of that, how about some movie TV show recommendations? So what I just finished watching uh, Little Fires Everywhere, which I thought was brilliant. Um, okay. I loved the book and the TV was brilliant. And also a show, I don't know if it's in the UK at the moment, called Breeders. Uh, I had a baby at the beginning of the year and it's about a family uh, and what it's like to have children. But from a, it was actually a bit, it felt like a, a horror show actually at times, looking into my future. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very funny, very sharp, very good writing. So if that's available in the US, I very much recommend it. Well, congratulations on the baby as well. Thank you. A baby and a book? I mean, you're not busy at all then. No, it's been a, it's been a big year. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. And congrats to both. Thank you. Well, thank you again. And and um, we look forward to getting to speak to you again for your next book. Yes, please. Yes, please. We'll keep finding you and being like, will you come back, please? I absolutely <laughs> will. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, welcome back. Thank you again, Elizabeth, for that awesome and charming interview. You are a cool lady. <laughs> I think it's really cool to convert from the editing side to the author side. Oh yeah. I, I can definitely tell there's there's that there's that um perfectionism. Mm -hmm. that that went into creating this story from the very get-go that just kind of writes it a little bit different. Uh, 
I agree. It, she brings a really cool perspective to her writing, and I can't wait to read more. And I hope she just gets even more layered with, you know, seemingly average people being really dark. <laughs> I think she has a niche there. <laughs> um, so let's talk about those people. Uh, I mean, really, the, 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 I don't know how I want to put it. The, the gravitational pull of this book is Jane. Yeah. Oh, Jane. Oh, my God. Somebody so complicated who I feel for in so many ways. And then I'm also really, you know, kind of disgusted by, um, it's but i love her i don't know i'm so complicated on jane elizabeth but i do love her i love her i I love her too and elizabeth did a really good job of of doing two things with jane one her her spiral into darkness Mm -hmm. is measured in a way where you know she starts off doing things that are just like kind of not okay yeah and it continues to become increasingly not okay. Yeah. But even even when she kills Marnie's husband, mm-hmm. it, it's like, okay, I, I'm kind of okay with this because he was kind of a dick, even though I'm not quite sure her version of events is necessarily true and if he's really as much of a jerk as she sees him as being. And that's really the point when I kind of was like, what I believe that what she is, t- the story she's telling and the person that she's presenting is true as she sees him, but I'm not sure he that he was necessarily as bad as all of that, even oh, though the no. scene at the wedding was completely unacceptable. I disagree. I think he was that bad. I think he was 100% that bad. Um, that, and it's like, I'm not sad that he died, but I'm very disturbed by Jane's role in it. That passage, I want to say it's like hard to read again as a, as a grizzled horror fan as I am. Very little is hard for me to read, but it was very like disturbing because I kept being like, okay, Jane, but you're gonna call, right? Jane, you're gonna call. And the Jane. way that she's approaching it is very dissociated, very oh like cold and just you dissociated know. is the perfect term for it. And she's just uh, she she wants a justification. She wants him to like admit a thing. And it's like, Jane, this isn't a normal, healthy thing to do what you're doing right now. Yeah. This isn't okay, Jane. But even that, like, I wanted her to be happy with her friend. And the way that she, the way that she presented him, he was that bad. I will just, I just want to be clear. Like, the way that he's presented by Jane, I'm not, I'm not excusing that at all. I wonder if some of the things that she's, that she has characterized him as doing and saying and the way that he said things were necessarily true but that's just because i doubt jane yeah and, and i i am on the side of that he he is really yeah. that bad but but so even when she gets to that scene she does something horrible and just snaps his neck oh feeling my God. nothing i'm like okay i i still love you jane i still love you and i still want you to get away with this yes i did not want her to get caught and the the scene at the end though when oh. she's about to kill that baby oh like when she's she's confessing we learn she's confessing this entire thing to the baby before she's going to kill it yes um and it's um it's really interesting because i did not imagine that that's where the story was going that she was going to be confessing this to the to the baby and and a part of it is the way she talks and i highlighted a lot of things in this because i was trying to figure out who she was speaking to i think a lot of readers mm-hmm. would would read it that way because she even says things like don't look at me like that i'm not crazy or you know those kind of like i said this edgar allan poe sort of vibes of like you know we've talked about this in other parts and i've got I love Edgar Allan Poe, but you know, it's that writing style of, you know, I did this me things quite justified was I, and like, you know, they kind of like monologue on and like, you know, like kind of throw in there, but this was why, like, you know, their justifications and they're kind of pleading with the audience. And that was like, so reminiscent to me because I'm like, was she talking to like a cop? And then I was like, is she talking to Valerie? the reporter like you know i couldn't figure out like i mean is she writing like a memoir like what is this because she's obviously saying yeah i did it i killed charles okay like and it's like who would you just tell that to unless you got caught but she didn't get caught 
that was the most that was the most surprising part for me is when is in the epilogue four years later and she's free i'm like how what yeah uh and like i don't know how i felt about that like i feel like i should be mad and scared that she got away with it Mm -hmm. and at the same time i feel kind of happy that she did and maybe she there's redemption and yeah there is no there is no redemption no because she's now stalking not only marnie but also the older child now yeah um and stalking is accurate and it leads it open to this idea of what is she gonna do from here is it just gonna be stalking is it gonna be kidnap is it going to be uh, you know what or is it gonna be nothing and it's just she just watches them forever which is creepy and and the way she said that you know i wonder if she'll remember that that she saw a woman and she smiled and waved she always smiles and waves like oh my god how long is this going to go on (laughs) how long has this been going on jane um it, it says a lot and it opens up a lot to unpack in a way that I don't even think I'm prepared for, uh, of Marnie's reaction. Marnie is obviously, she knows she overhears this uh, quite by like complete accident and luck. And she hears the confession and she's horrified. She's disgusting. She's disgusted. She's frightened. But she doesn't turn her in. Well, she does turn her in. She does call the police afterwards. And right. The police don't don't believe her. Right. But I mean, she obviously doesn't. Which isn't that. I shouldn't say she shouldn't. Right. I should say she doesn't pursue it. Obviously. Like, I mean, she could have made this into such a huger thing. But out of, I think, some sort of loyalty for Jane. I don't think she fully pursued it. I mean, the fact that she told her to get out and didn't, you know lock like like tie her to a chair right away and and all of that is says something but like go to every outlet go to everything and be like no this person did this and it's like i think that she's obviously mad at jane and she you know tried to get her justice but at the same time she doesn't really pursue it i mean the fact that she doesn't go to valerie yeah she doesn't go to valerie just drag her name through the mud for what she admitted to does i does say something because valerie would have loved to get her hands on that and i think it's something about marnie and about their relationship and that there is a codependence there because like you know marnie's forgiven jane for some very questionable things yeah she forgave her for hiding in the closet and recording her she forgave her for what she thinks is of like lying about Charles groping her. Like, you know, she, she forgives Jane a lot of things. Yeah. And I think this is indicative of the pattern of like, where she's like, okay, I don't want to be around this person. You know, they've, they betrayed me, but she never fully, obviously like can cancel Jane. Yeah. That scene in the closet, I want to talk about how brilliant that was. It's so subtle. It's very, and, and like, I caught it. Oh, yeah. But, it, it, but, you know, it would, it, she didn't even present it. Like, there was no question in Jane's mind that that was just a normal, acceptable thing for her to do. And, like, you know, um, her sister is, you know, it kind of becomes a little bit of this, like, kind of running joke, you know, type of thing. Like, th- the lengths that Jane will go to. But it's like, mm, it's actually quite weird that you did that. Yeah. But at the same time, she did it because she loved Marnie and she wanted to bring this guy down. And so it's again, it's one of those things where you're like, well, I'm not like mad at you for doing it, though, Jane. It was just unhealthy that you did that. Well, and she, you know, she starts off at least telling herself and telling us the reader that she's doing this out of out of like a loyalty out of love yes and i think it starts that way maybe but really she's doing it for herself she is doing it out of fear of selfishness yeah of losing her and she wants to be the closest person in her life and yeah and but she does love her and it is out of this loyalty so that's part of where the complication comes in because all these weird choices she makes she um she has a because she loves Marnie, but at the same time, there's this root that is really selfish and toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very interesting. And yeah, it is subtle, that scene, but she like, as she saves her life. So it's like, I don't know. This book really 
hits you hard towards the tail end of it. It has a build. Yeah. Um, you know, cause like, like I would, om- I would almost cl- have classified this book as an obsession up through about the first two thirds of the book. Um, and then the last third was getting into, was getting into struggle territory and not in a bad way, but like, I mean, crying, bad moods, um, just general malaise over the things that were happening. You know, it, it's set up through the entire book. I knew that Emma was going to die. It was, it was pretty clear that that was going to be a, an eventuality, mm-hmm. but the way that it happened and when it happened and how it happened really, really, um, it, it hurt me in a way. It's very upsetting. I was I was in a very uh, sour mood for a few hours. I, th- that is why I was grumpy the other day. By the way, <laughs> I believe it. I had just read that scene. I, and I had to it. put the book down. I was um I was very I was very upset for personal reasons about Emma Emma's situation, and um it's so hard because it builds more of our compassion and our love towards Jane and a defensiveness that I feel towards Jane that I, you know, I feel so bad that this happened to her. And I feel so bad that Jane, who is a fixer, couldn't fix this. And I'm a fixer too. I mean, I don't fix things the way Jane does. (laughs) (laughs) But um, like this powerlessness and, I think that Jane's desire to have that power and control comes from her sister's illness and the absolute batshit relationship of her parents and then her parents, how they related to her and to her sister. And you can see why Jane became such a like this thing, this relationship with Marnie. This is like a good thing I have. Like she had that and she had Jonathan and that's like what she had. And so she worked so hard at those things and to fix them and to make it right. And like Jonathan dies in a freak way and she can't fix that. But it always comes back to, I have Marnie, and I can fix this, and I can be the person that saves Marnie and protects Marnie. And you you know what I mean? You can see, like, how Jane was the way she was. You can. And and Elizabeth does a really good job of setting up the dominoes and letting them fall. Oh, it's the whole point of the lies. Yeah. And I mean, you know, on the one hand, Jane is... uh, I, she she is damaged yeah um and she would have been no matter whether jonathan died or not she had a complicated relationship with love mm-hmm. and with uh loyalty and with you know her own feelings and how people uh react to them she yeah. at the end of the day she was the most important person in her world and everyone needed to see that too yeah. um that's not how she saw things but that is kind of how you know it's ever how everything affects her um and that would have still existed well um but mm -hmm. she would not she probably would not have gotten to that point without the dominoes falling and and that's you know it's there's so there's there's kind of like there's kind of like a couple ways that these kind of books tend to go either it's just the circumstances that turn someone into a a monster mm-hmm. or the person is just a monster all along and they're the ones who are driving the the horrible things that are happening this really walks a really fine line of 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 you know having her be a problematic person and would have been and would and was always and would have been always but then also the the circumstances are what made her go down a um a homicidal path <laughs> Quite homicidal, in fact. Um, yeah, I mean, you can see it in like the way that she visited and cared for her mother, even though her mother really didn't treat her well and, you know, all of that. But she still made that effort. We feel she earns our compassion in that way. She earns our compassion by loving the losing the love of her life, um, by having her sister be ill. She, she earns it in so many ways from us. And by being, even though it's not healthy, by being a really good friend to Marnie, too, she earns our, our compassion and our empathy a lot. Because uh, she was a good friend. Oh, and she's a good person in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. Um, 
that it's why it's complicated. Uh, one of the things that just sent such a dread through me in this book is when we realize Marnie is pregnant because I was like, I don't think Jane's gonna like this. <laughs> and at first, Jane likes it because like she has her vision of how this is gonna play out and how and and then Marnie, uh, you know, because Marnie had become very very codependent on her again because of uh, Charles dying, and then Marnie really just kind of like makes this decision like well i want to do this and i'm going to handle this and i'm going to handle it in the way that is going to be healthy and right for me and it's not the way jane wanted it to go (laughs) but i was like oh this is this will not be good and a part of me didn't really think that jane would hurt the baby but it made me feel kind of like i mean that door is open yeah, so I I thought when 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 we found out that Marnie was pregnant, I thought that ultimately she was pro- she was going to end up killing the thing she loved the most, which was Marnie. I thought that uh, that's where it was going. Yeah, I never expected that this was going to turn into uh, attempted infanticide. It, yeah, it, that she went to a really difficult dark place, and that's and realistically, well, babies are innocent. Like babies and children, they didn't do anything. Yeah. So that's always such. A taboo when it's like well, why, why go kill baby baby didn't do anything i know and that and that chapter was i think only two pages long maybe three it felt Short. it felt like forever it was so it, it was one of those things where on one hand i was like literally like no like page turn page turn page turn. No, no, <laughs> no 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 but Jake, it also stop. felt like i was living that horror for uh you know a decade <laughs> it That's, was yeah it, it was, was like really rough yeah, it was like going in slow motion when you read it. And that's such a good cinematic effect a book can have when you feel like it's going in slow motion. Uh, one last thing that I personally wanted to touch on was um, was Valerie and was the smear campaign <laughs> against the ladies. Um, I felt like very, conf- very complicated in that. One, at some point, I really felt like Marnie did think that Jane killed him. Uh, but she kind of like talked herself out of it. Yep. Um, and then it created such great suspense because even though Valerie doesn't have a lot of credibility, she has a little bit of a platform. And it's kind of like that, you know, like I said at the beginning, waiting for the shoe to drop, like just kind of like waiting, you're anticipating the suspense, the anxiety of, is she going to crack this open? Is this going to become a thing? Is this, are we going to court here? Like what's happening? And Jane is stalking this woman and, you know, and then it's just like, sometimes nothing happens. Yeah. Ultimately, that whole situation with Valerie didn't actually amount to anything except to torture Jane. Yeah. Um. It, Telltale heart. Yeah. It's under the floorboards. The ba bump. The ba bump. Yeah. I was definitely feeling more and more that Marnie might suspect, not necessarily that Jane killed her husband but that jane stood by i feel like there was always something in the back of marnie's mind i i I really think so yeah that she was like she knew jane was capable and i think that she knew i think that she listened to the message i think that she knew that jane did spend that entire week in their apartment i think Mm. that that is i you know it's complicated because on the one hand i feel like that's partly why she didn't find as much time for her after the baby was born and things kind of changed after that moment i mean yeah she certainly knew if nothing else she certainly knew that jane, that jane lying. was lying yeah about what was said in the message yeah and and she she decided to move past it like she did with jane many times mm-hmm. but she knew that it was not the truth um i really feel like elizabeth k wrote a thinking person's book in this where you can read a lot of nuance and you can take a lot of subtlety and draw your own conclusions and she doesn't give you a lot of obvious answers and it's very very smart and it shows a sophistication to her writing it's one of the ways where first person perspective is used the most effectively in my opinion Mm -hmm. 
is you know i mean in this case you don't necessarily trust the you know the person perspective as far as what's really going on but you still you know their perspective you know what they believe but you don't necessarily know what other people are thinking and you know and that can be really fun to to really look at and say okay i think that this is the moment or i think that this is what they're thinking without a lot of um uh exposition yeah because we all omit things to people and to ourselves and we you know they talk about like the fog of war and you can kind of rewrite things and convince yourself that things are true or that things happened a certain way um and it's very interesting phenomenon that all people do well think about the lies that you yourself have told people in your lifetime told zero lies yeah white you know (laughs) little white lies you no no lies at all never lied ever ever But go on, Shropper. (laughs) I mean, I mean, anything simple, little white lie, and and something that maybe you told ten years ago, and you never told them otherwise. You never, you never, you know, that was just that was what you said, and you moved on. If you were a character in that person's first person story, if if you were reading the other person's story, and they say this conversation, Mm -hmm. you would have you as the reader would then question: Is that person telling the truth or lying? You can only take it at the value of the person who's writing the perspective. I like the way you said that, but it also kind of reminded me of that labyrinth thing of one person always tells the truth and one person always lies <laughs> in the movie. It kind of it's a mind mind teaser a little. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, a weird, suspenseful departure into, I don't know, kind of a very unique niche offshoot genre, several different things. I mean, there's really nothing else I can call it but a novel of suspense. And uh, for that reason, I'm going to give this novel of utter suspense three and a half babies out of five. Oh, God, babies. I have to make it dark. That's really dark. That's really well, dark. No, I like fine. it. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm. I, no hey, no, babies I'm all were for harmed it. in the making of this novel. Thankfully, no, no yeah. babies were harmed after all was said and done. Um, I am giving this four and a half babies out of five. Oh, just a a half a baby away. Just a half a baby away. One of them was cut in half by Jane. She was jealous of it, I guess. <laughs> she uh, said, dark. like, here, you can keep half. I'll keep half. It's fine. Uh, this book really, really um, affected me very strongly. Incredibly well written. I am going to recommend this to a lot of people and also, and also kind of scare some people away from it, <laughs> who I think it might <laughs> affect them a little bit too hard. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it's, it's just so, so good. I think, I, I really hope people challenge themselves and push themselves to read a novel with a main character that is so, so complicated, like Jane, um, because I feel like it's a really good exercise in compassion and humanity. And it's scary to embrace dark sides of people and of ourselves, but I think it's a very good challenge as a reader and as a person so once again thank you so much elizabeth k thank you to everybody at home thank you scott thank you sandra please keep reading past your bedtime (laughs) 